Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots Monday Morning, where we react to the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. And I am Katie Halper. And I'm Mary Maté. Good Monday morning, everybody. And good uh, non-government shutdown. We dodged yeah. a bullet there. We did. We did indeed. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that. And uh, guys, make sure to like this stream, as we always encourage you to do. But also... If you're not already a Substack member of this show, you're really going to want to be one because boy, oh boy, did we have a great interview with one Norman Finkelstein. Very, very thought-provoking, uh, food-for-thought-ish uh, scholar. Undoubtedly, one of our most popular guests, if not the yeah. most popular, and it's a great episode. And you can get that bonus episode at UsefulIdiotsPodcast.com. Yeah. And you treat yourself. You treat yourself not only to um, uh, to an extended interview with all of our guests, including Norman Finkelstein, but also our great Thursday Throwdown. And if you're here watching this, chances are you'll really like Thursday Throwdown because Thursday Throwdown is your midweek dose of media madness, where we react to media clips from the midweek, from the week. So yeah, and it's madness. It's absolute it's madness. madness. We promise madness. Yeah. It's so great to see all the people here joining us on Monday morning. It's great to start our week with you. Unfortunately, this week, yeah. we're still dealing with the aftermath of the departure of Chuck Todd, which has just not been easy for all of us. It's a big blow to the East Floridians community. And yeah. this week, it's even more difficult because Meet the Press wasn't on. It was preempted for golf, I think. Something. Some golf or horses or something. So we're speaking of golf we're playing with a bit of a handicap this week down oh the press. nice yeah but uh let's so we're going to turn to somewhere else for our weekly recap and what a yeah. week it was because we almost saw the government shut down and we still might see it shut down again because democrats and republicans only came up with a really short-term measure right and one of the mysteries that hangs in the balance is will the ukraine proxy war get billions of more dollars that remains to be seen so let's go to abc news for a recap for this week. Just witnessed an extraordinary, we have just witnessed an extraordinary 24 hours in the House of Representatives. As the US government seemed on the brink of a lengthy government shutdown, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy made a decision to move forward with a bill that many of his fellow Republicans opposed. I like that guy in the background. I don't know who he is, but he looks like a mafia boss, doesn't he, with his arms crossed like that? He's definitely an enforcer. He's an enforcer, yeah. Yeah. If I'm and, Matt Gates, I'm pretty scared just by that guy. Exactly. And no wonder he needs an enforcer because he got he's got a lot of people mad at him. The bill which required a two-thirds supermajority passed. But take a look at the final tally. Only 126 Republicans voted yes, 90 voted no. It only passed because it had the overwhelming support of House Democrats. President Biden has now signed the bill into law. But remember, this is just a temporary measure, keeping the government open for 45 days with no progress whatsoever for a long-term deal. McCarthy avoided a drawn-out shutdown for now by ditching almost everything that he had promised conservatives and getting a lifeline from Democrats. Now there's a real question of whether that move will cause hardline Republicans to try to remove him as Speaker of the House. ABC so Look, we're in this really weird situation right now where, on the one hand, you have hard right Democrats who are demanding social cuts to social spending. But they're also demanding no more money for the Ukraine proxy war. So 
our political spectrum is a choice between Democrats who, you know, want social spending. And obviously, if you're a fan to of this some show, extent. You'll... well, they, they want certainly sure. not certainly to more, cut what, Yeah, certainly more than right. Republicans want. Yeah. Yeah. So you have people who want to at least protect what we have, the bare minimum or less than the bare minimum social spending. Right. Democrats want to protect it. And the hard right that wants to cut social spending, but also wants to cut the military industrial complex when it comes to Ukraine. Right. So it's kind of a weird, weird choice right now. But I mean, from my between, point of view, between Iraq and a hard place, Iraq, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly, all back, yeah, exactly. But the the outcome of this weekend, from my point of view, was pretty great because the social spending was protected, but also there was no money for Ukraine. And unfortunately, that's only a temporary solution because right. we're going to see that Republicans are probably going to give Democrats the Ukraine funding that they want. But I don't know. If only we could freeze this moment in exactly. time, exactly. And enjoy Pause. this moment of pure bliss. Right. Yeah. One moment in time. <laughs> well, so make sure you mark that down for our Rachel Scott album. has been on Capitol Hill all week tracking it all. Good morning, Rachel. John, good morning. President Biden signed that bill with just 45 minutes to spare. It was a week of uncertainty and chaos that ended with Democrats and Republicans finally coming together on a short-term deal to keep the government funded. This was far from what Speaker Kevin McCarthy wanted. He said he exhausted every single option trying to get the far right wing of his party on the same page, even trying to tie border funding to this fight. In the end, it was never enough. With time running out, he turned to Democrats. He put this measure on the floor that would keep the government funded until November 17th and add $16 billion in disaster aid. In the House, more Democrats voted for that bill than Republicans. It passed the Senate with sweeping bipartisan support. Neither side got everything they wanted here. No border security for Republicans, no Ukraine aid for Democrats, and most notably, no long-term solution, which means we could be right back here having this fight all over again in about 45 days, John. So, so Rachel, it's interesting how the Ukraine war has really become the Democrats' war in terms of the media framing, even though besides some more extremist Republicans, it does have support from Republicans. Absolutely true. Mitch McConnell is one of the most enthusiastic supporters there is for the Ukraine proxy war. Yeah. So much so that he's now sounding like Bernie Sanders. He talks now about how it creates jobs. It's a good investment in America. It's like he's almost sounding like a New Deal Democrat, right. although – Except for investing in jobs that like build things for the country, he's giddy about building jobs that kill right. Russia. But yeah. other than that, and Ukrainians, of course, and Ukrainians, yes, absolutely, of course, of course. But yes, uh, that is a great point that this is not just a, a democratic proxy war. This is bipartisan, with the exception of one wing right. of the Republican Party. It's just with Democrats, you don't need to try to cajole or encourage anyone to vote for it because right. everybody, including the progressives, are on board. So sad. By the way, we're approaching the one-year anniversary. Uh, remember that brief 24 hours when congressional progressives put out a letter calling for diplomacy yeah. with Russia, and then they retracted it after some neocons got mad? We're approaching the one-year anniversary of those... Lettergate. Lettergate, those 24 hours of Lettergate, when just for 24 hours, progressives actually were behind diplomacy until they retracted it. It was like a uh, uh, a flash sale. What is it called? Like a sale that's <laughs> only a 24-hour sale? It was a flash diplomacy sale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only we could have kept that moment in time too. Jesus. We should we should really we should commemorate it whatever the exact date is. Let's let's tweet it. Let's let's Absolutely. get it trending on Twitter. Yeah. All right. And well, the, the one man- person, the one person what what's pathetic is that one person stood by that letter, Rokana. Yeah, but again, I I No, I no, no. I'm not giving him that much credit. I'm just I'm saying there, that he- 
what I'm saying is, you know, the point I made with that is that he, he, yes, he stood by it, but he, to stand by it, he mischaracterized it. He watered it down. Right. He said that all we were saying is that we should talk to Russia about avoiding a nuclear war. That's actually not what the letter said. The letter said we should talk to Russia about ending the war. Right. But anyway. Yeah. That's, but yeah, that's right. It. You're right. And that's important. But I mean, the fact that no one else even had the like PR, like the fact that no one else even did that is just so pathetic and shows you how how heretical it is to say anything besides full war. And again, this was not a letter that was asking Biden to stop funding Ukraine. It was like, can we just have some diplomacy thrown in there? Exactly. By the way, AOC did stand by the letter. So she's also. Oh, she uh, did? Okay, I don't think I knew that. But Ilhan Omar said that, well, we got new intelligence. And she suggested that basically some new intelligence that somehow Ukraine was now on better footing meant that we no longer needed diplomacy. And we all saw how that turned out when Ukraine's counteroffensive that's been unfolding over the last several months has been a disaster. But anyway, the man in the moment right now is Congressmember Matt Gates, who is launching this revolt against Speaker McCarthy of his own party, basically is talking about ousting him and speaking to Jake Tapper, Gates detailed his plan, which is basically to get McCarthy out. To top, you have been threatening to topple McCarthy, issue a motion to vacate uh, the speakership uh, if he worked with Democrats to fund the government with a clean CR, clean government spending bill, which is exactly what he did uh, on on Friday uh, and Saturday. The House gavels back in tomorrow at noon. Are you going to make a motion to vacate? Speaker McCarthy made an agreement with House conservatives in January, and since then he has been in brazen, repeated material breach of that agreement. Uh, This agreement that he made with Democrats uh, to really blow past a lot of the spending guardrails we'd set up is a last straw. And then overnight I learned that Kevin McCarthy had a secret deal with Democrats on Ukraine. So as he was baiting Republicans to vote for a continuing resolution without Ukraine money, saying that we were going to jam the Senate on Ukraine, He then turns around and makes a secret deal. Now, I know you and I probably have different views on U.S. involvement in Ukraine, but however you think about that question, it should be subject to open review analysis and not some backroom deal. So So I do intend to vacate tomorrow. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. I think we need to rip off the Band-Aid. I think we need to move on with new leadership that can be trustworthy. Look, the one. Did he just call McCarthy a (laughs) Band-Aid? Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Mandate Gate. Yeah. Now, how do we feel about Matt Gates? And, you know, I mean, I agree with him when it comes to the Ukraine war, obviously vehemently disagree with him on pretty much everything else, especially his attacks on social welfare. But he's kind of the mirror image to me of what many of us thought the squad would be, which is openly leading an uprising against his own party's leadership. This is what many people expected the squad to do and Bernie Sanders to do, which they've not done at all. And I got to say, you know, watching from the other side, I can't help but feel a little bit of envy that if only Republicans we had our get, own. Yeah, the Republicans get to have someone who challenges their own party, as many expected progressives to do, which hasn't really happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. So, you know, it's just too bad that it has to come, you know, with an agenda that wants to cut food stamps, as right. is the case of people like Matt Gates. is is that nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. He lied to Biden. He lied to House conservatives. He had 
appropriators marking to a different number altogether. And the reason we were backed up against the shutdown politics is not a bug of the system. It's a feature. Kevin McCarthy's goal was to make multiple contradictory promises to delay everything, back us up against shutdown politics, and at the end of the day, blow past the spending guardrails he'd agree. So how many Republicans do you think will be with you in your motion to vacate? Because obviously, for people at home who don't know, you need 218 votes to get him out of the speakership. You don't have 218 Republican votes. You're going to need Democrats. Let's start with the Republicans. How many Republicans do you have? Well, enough so that when you host this show next week, if Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House, he will be serving at the pleasure of the Democrats. He will be working for the Democrats. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably... I like this. So he's basically trying to taint their, um, Kevin McCarthy as a puppet of the Democrats. His, his legitimacy is tied, or not legitimacy, his, his um, power is now tied to the Democrats. That's how he's framing it. He's dirty. He's talking a big game. That does, he have, does he have the numbers to back it up, or is this just a solo mission? It's, uh, right. It seems pretty self-destructive. But uh, well, maybe- yeah, I guess so. But he, we know what he's going to say, right? When when it fails, he's just going to pretend it's a Democrat thing. That the Democrats bailed out McCarthy. Yeah, okay. even though Republicans will have done that too, obviously. But he's he's getting ready to to frame it that way. Pretty good. Hmm. Well, I actually think that when you believe in nothing, as Kevin McCarthy does, everything's negotiable. Okay, but let's and I think be, he'll let's cut be, a deal with, be, with the Democrats. Let's be honest here, though, because if you succeed in, in vacating him, you also will have to make a deal with the Democrats. You also will have to get Democratic votes to kick him out. Uh, absolutely, I will make no deal with Democrats and concede no terms to them. I actually think Democrats should vote against Speaker McCarthy for free. I don't think I should have to deal with oh, so anything. so you're not going to cut any deals with him? Absolutely not. And I don't think that uh, any Republicans uh, that ha- share my view on Speaker McCarthy would cut deals with Democrats. But here's the thing. I'm done owning Kevin McCarthy, right? We made a deal at the end of Jan- or in January to allow him to assume the speakership, and I'm not owning him anymore because he doesn't tell the truth. And so if Democrats want to own Kevin McCarthy by bailing him out, I can't stop him, but then he'll be their speaker, not mine. Whoa. He's disowning. Again, I'm just, imagining, I'm just imagining AOC or Bernie speaking those exact words right. about Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden. Right. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If only. That would be amazing. Now, yeah. before we leave, a lot of uh, uh, Wilson, can you get uh, I want to see Gates again. Let's get Gates back up there. Let's just show that clip that we just removed because we got a uh, Make an important point. Okay, let's Topic. see him in full. And at the end of the day. Okay, pause there. Now let's, uh, well, we need open eyes. We need eyes open. Okay, there, great. Now let's show, a lot of people have been pointing out he looks like Beavis and Butthead, or maybe just Butthead, uh, some Eddie Munster action in there. But I realized that he also looks like this guy. Syndrome. And what is that from? I'm He's not, an incredible villain, a Pixar Pixar villain from The Incredibles. Okay. okay. Can you huh. see it? Yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah. And the truth is, I don't watch those movies. But a friend pointed out to me, and then once I saw it, I just could not unsee it. Very, uh, very ex- expressive face yeah. he has, and uh, it shows in his actions. You yeah. Know, whatever, whatever you think of him, he's got some fortitude. 
And wouldn't it be nice to see that on the progressive side? Yeah. But not anytime soon. Wouldn't it be nice if we were stronger and we could stand up to proxy wars? I like it. I like it's it. It's good, right? Like Wilson, write that down. Remember, we have that compilation <laughs> album. We got yeah. two songs already from today. <laughs> I'm serious. All right. Well, let's hear from Speaker McCarthy himself, who is going to respond to Matt Gates. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. You need 218 votes to vacate. Has Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, said that he will? No. No what? He hasn't said anything about what he's going to do. Look, well, he, Democrat, Democrats could cross over and follow Gates's uh, lead on this. Yeah, he, he, look, Gates is trying to work with Democrats. He's reached out to Swalwell, to AOC and others. But if that's the way we're going to govern, I don't think America is going to be successful. Look, so both of them are playing this game. Two can play this game. They're trying to taint each other's uh, uh, actions as Democrat linked. They're dirty. So the Democrat, yeah. It's such a weird standoff, like two Republicans fighting and they're both daring the other side to work with the other side. Exactly. So you work with them. No, you work with them. And that's what they're fighting over. Who's going to yeah. cave to the Democrats? It's right. really an odd duel. It's a very, very odd duel. Yeah, it is an odd duel. Yeah. Like the um, weapon you draw, the weapon you draw to defeat your opponent is an olive branch to your mutual opponent. It's, it's very, very strange. Right. You know. It's like cooperation. It's cooperation. Yeah. 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 I mean, meanwhile, of course, the country suffers and all these government workers, especially, face the prospect of losing their paychecks. And it's horrible. There's so many horrible things. But you got to at least give a nod to the entertainment value. Of yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, McCarthy has some more great ideas. Uh, oh, yeah. For example, Democrats, if you want money for your proxy war, guess what you have to do? You also have to give Republicans their money to further militarize the border because right. of course, the border is not nearly militarized enough. American border, but the American border matters. And more people, more Americans are dying on our border than Americans are dying in Ukraine. So you are explicitly right now linking any Ukraine aid. OK, so that's interesting. He's suggesting that there are some are there are there Americans dying in uh, in Ukraine? Well, there are American volunteers and mercenaries, yes. But I don't think he means that. I think he was just misspoke, or maybe not. Maybe he 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 means his point is that I think he probably wants it to to sound like there are uh, are none, right? But he's making a rhetorical point, which is like it's more important. The border is more important because that's where Americans are dying, but also. What Americans are dying? I mean, there are a lot of non-Americans who are dying, unless like McCarthy is some pan-Americanist, like Chicano studies professor who's who's calling Americans, you know, like South Americans and Central Americans Americans. And I'm here for that, but I don't think that's his probably view. Not. Yeah, probably, probably not. Yeah, he's probably just lying about Americans being killed at the border by these far by these foreigners. Yeah. All right. Oh, to a border belly. I am, stand I am telling you that the American border matters, and that is our priority to make sure we secure that. So that has to I'm move first. I'm going to make sure that the weapons are provided for Ukraine, but they're not going to get some big package if the border is not secure. But it could be a new slogan for the Republicans. American borders matter. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. 
sort of hop on the social justice themes of the last few years. Yeah, I like it. it. Like yeah. their own cause. Well, it but, goes well but, with the we're all Americans thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but let's hear more of what he's saying because he's basically saying that if you want us to fund your proxy war, you better give us militarization on the border. So right. like militarization all around. Exactly. Militarization over there, then we got to yeah. have some over here. Yeah. Exactly. Haven't figured out yet the vehicle through which to move that Ukraine aid or a date by which to do it. We will work with or people border. in need, but the one thing the White House has to understand, they better be prepared to secure American border. What does that mean specifically? So great. Militarization here, militarization there. Everybody wins except for ordinary people. civilians. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're a person, you lose. But if you're a military uh, contractor, you're doing so well. Yeah. And again, you know, we've made this point tirelessly, but what is never discussed in the in the uh, in the ongoing debate about the border is what are we doing to possibly fuel all these desperate people fleeing their home countries? And you can start with all the murderous sanctions that are imposed on Central American countries like Venezuela, deliberately aimed at destroying their economies. And when you destroy an economy, people flee. It's pretty simple. Right. Not but that root cause is never looked at. Never, ever, ever. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone who was probably very happy with McCarthy's stance because he gets everything he wants from a Ukraine proxy war to border militarization is Lindsey Graham. Oh, yeah. This is great. Is the right guy. I think Kevin is the right guy at the right time. The only way he loses his job is if a handful of Republicans join up with the Democratic Party to fire him. That would be a disaster for They're the future out. of the Republican Party. That's not going to happen. Kevin has again tainting it as a Democrat uh, allied move. As the overwhelming confidence of his membership. He worked to avoid a shutdown. Mm -hmm. He will help Ukraine, but he's telling everybody in the country, including yeah. me, you better send something over for the border for me to help Ukraine. And he's right to make that demand. Now look at his Ukrainian flag and American flag. That basically mm -hmm. sums it up right there. That's right. That's right. It's a quid pro quo. It's a quid pro quo. What he really needs is a Mexican flag with a red circle around it and a line through it. <laughs> and a Russian flag with the same thing, yeah. But it's amazing. I mean, this is how deals get made. If you want us to fund a proxy war, then we need more money to militarize our right. own border. If you want us, to, if you want yeah. to fund killing Russians and Ukrainians, you better throw in some Mexicans that we're going to kill. Yeah, there's no other options. Like maybe we should push for diplomacy if it's still possible with Russia. And maybe let's also try, I don't know, being humane, right. welcoming people who are fleeing desperate conditions. That and we at help minimum, create. And at minimum, stopping to create those conditions. Right. Maybe give that a shot. That's but no. Good. It's no all just quid pro quos for, for the military industrial complex. That's who ultimately everything serves. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, Lindsey Graham has oh, we got some more so talk about, about Don't Ukraine. worry, guys. We would never give you just one Lindsey clip. Dom. <laughs> uh, have you asked uh, Donald Trump, your friend, to come out and publicly support more aid to Ukraine and to. First of all, what a dig calling him your friend. She's rub really, as we all know, Lindsey Graham, he is a cuck who pretends to like uh, Donald Trump. But before Donald Trump was president, he said, you know, if he got, was president, he'd ruin the Democratic Party. Then Donald Trump famously gave out his phone number for people to call him. And then Lindsey Graham made a video of, of himself smashing his cell phone with a sledgehammer. But yeah, he, they're friends. 
push some of these skeptical members of the Republican conference? I'll right, let me remind it so the sentence makes sense. I just had to point that out. Asked uh, Donald Trump, your friend, to come out and publicly support more aid to Ukraine and to push some of these skeptical members of the Republican conference? I'll leave it up to him to what to do, but he wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Well, Vladimir Putin has been praising him for yeah, his comments well, about Russia. Ukraine. Here's what I'll say about President Trump. Okay, let's just, I think we cleared this up last week, but it's worth a reminder. So everyone's saying that Vladimir Putin is praising Trump for his, com uh, sorry, yeah, that Vladimir Putin is praising Trump for his comments about Russia because he very clearly and recently said not that he said he did not think that there would be any changes in U.S. policy towards Russia if Trump won the next election. Right. Like a few weeks yes. ago, he made those comments at the Eastern Economic Forum. I'm going to quote him. OK, I know I'm, I'm now I'm I'm literally quoting um, reiterating talking points. talking points. Exactly. I'm yeah. taking a page out of the Russian playbook. But he said, I think there will be no fundamental changes regarding Russia in U.S. foreign policy, no matter who is elected president. Mr. Trump says he will solve acute problems, including the Ukrainian crisis, in a few days. This can only uh, please. Nevertheless, he, too, imposed sanctions on Russia during his presidency. Accurate. How do they turn that into com uh, positive comments about a Trump presidency? Well, they can't acknowledge it for two main reasons. One is they all bought into a conspiracy theory that Putin was secretly right. controlling Trump with blackmail, right? So it's still embarrassing to acknowledge that that was ridiculous. And you do that if you acknowledge that Putin said it doesn't matter who's president. But also, I think maybe this is a more important reason now. Putin is pointing out that there's a uniparty in Washington so that it doesn't matter who's in power. The, the policy on foreign, when it comes to foreign policy, especially and anything to do with neocon dogma, the policy will remain the same because both parties coalesce around the same neocon agenda at this point. And that's embarrassing to point out if you're invested in Washington and pretending as if we have a real democracy because that peels the fate that peels the mask off the illusion that there's like a robust democracy with parties that disagree right. really when it comes to foreign policy they're pretty much in lockstep especially right. on Russia so they can't acknowledge that and hence why they have to pretend that Putin is still supporting Trump yeah just like make make stuff up he did not pull the plug on Afghanistan even though he wanted to the biggest mistake we made Okay, I like this point, too. He's trying to say, like, Donald Trump was disciplined and showed restraint because he wanted to pull the plug on Afghanistan. He didn't pull the plug on it because he lost the election. And then Joe well, Biden imposed the plan that he had. Well, and also because when he tried to withdraw, that's when the CIA came up with the Russian bounty scam. Exactly right. Claiming that Russia was paying bounties to the Taliban to kill right. U.S. troops. And that helped derail Trump's withdrawal. Like Liz Cheney joined with exactly, Democrats right. to pass measures, slowing withdrawal. And Trump, you know, as it was a theme throughout his presidency, caved in the face of neocon opposition. And Biden came in and, you know, carried out Trump's initial plan. Right. But it wasn't right. Exactly. Right. It wasn't because of Trump's own like change of heart. No, it's because he caved yeah. as, he, yeah. as he always did. Yeah. But he's praising that as something good, which is funny. Mm -hmm. By the way, where are we at likes? I'm sorry to do this. Looks like we just crossed the 500 mark. All right, guys, this is pathetic. <laughs> Not even half. Do I? Why do I have to tell you this? Someone was tweeting the other day. They were like, "She holds her. Katie holds the, ho the her show hostage." Well, I have a gun to all your heads, guys. Your own show hostage. Wow. My own show hostage. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. You can do it. 
I will. We need Lindsay. a whip whip sound effect. Do it for Lindsay and Trump's friendship, which yeah, will exactly. which will survive whatever disagreements they have over Ukraine. Yeah, the friendship will last. It will the endure. Friendship will last, guys. We don't paywall this. Other people would paywall this stuff. They would hide it after, you know, mm -hmm. they could hide it right after it plays. So what are we getting? How, how are we? Uh, 618 now. All right. We should get to, all right. We really should get to 700, but I'm feeling generous today. Wow. I don't, That's it's not a good habit, but I'll yeah. let you, uh, okay. Let's go back to it. As the oh, war on terror is withdrawing from Afghanistan. You're the only channel I like as soon as I start watching. Thank you, Skittle Tits McSkittles. Uh, you are a true, useful idiot patriot because you trust us because we always deliver. Okay. Afghanistan. To President Trump and anybody else, if we pull the plug on Ukraine, that's 10 times worse than Afghanistan. There goes Taiwan. To stop funding Ukraine is a death sentence for Taiwan. Putin. For Taiwan. They can't, they're such neocons, they can't help but expose the real this agenda the here of using like Ukraine. Over. Yeah. Using Ukraine to weaken Russia. And because Russia is an ally of China, then somehow. This hurts China as well, and something has, has something to do with Taiwan. Um, I thought this was about, and Democrats have really tried to stick to the script of making this about just defending Ukraine, which, again, if they really cared about, they wouldn't have blocked diplomacy both before right. and after the war began, but that's another story. But Lindsey Graham, another pro key proxy war ally, he can't help but admit that really this is just about a typical neocon agenda of controlling the world and using Ukraine and sacrificing Ukrainian lives because of Taiwan. Um, you know, again, we said this before, like if you're a Ukrainian soldier or a family of Ukrainian soldiers, do you want to risk your life to help neocons send a message to China over Taiwan? It's just like, it's so contemptuous of the sacrifice Ukrainians have made. Yeah. And they, I like it because every now and then the, the, the Dems do admit that this is a, um, uh, a proxy war, right? Like uh, Adam Schiff famously says, we're fighting them over uh, there so we don't have to fight them over here. But Republicans n ratchet it up a notch and make it clear that this is a proxy war that is only a proxy a proxy war with Russia that's really a proxy war with China. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to press play. We'll keep going. You missed all of World War II if you don't know how this uh, mm -hmm. movie ends. To the Republicans oh who say Ukraine doesn't matter to us, you're wrong. Respectfully, you're wrong. The war gets bigger, not smaller. There goes Taiwan. If Ukraine can Taiwan. beat Russia, China's less likely to invade Taiwan and Putin gets stopped. You know, uh, yeah. oh, sorry. This is, if you don't understand this, if you don't know that Putin is on a rampage, you don't understand World War II because you know how Putin is always talking about the intervention Ukrainians, how they are ruining uh, society and their pornographers and degenerates. Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, a member of the Azov Battalion, which is a neo-Nazi, actually referred to uh, the intervention inside Ukraine. And now that's who we're supporting inside Ukraine because right. Azov is our ally. And if, funnily enough, you know, Lindsay's trying to reference World War II. Well, there was just a big controversy and we covered it last week with Norman Finkelstein yeah. 
of Canada applauding a Nazi veteran who, of course, now is firmly supportive of the Ukrainian government. So it's it's a really it's a really rich time for him to try to invoke World War II at a time yeah. when uh, a major U.S. ally was humiliated for applauding a literal Nazi. Right. Exactly. And again, with it Zelensky just, there with, with Zelensky in with the Zelensky room, there and, and applauding. Yeah. I had on Yasha Levine and Mark Ames and uh, Levka Lincoln uh, on on the Katie Halper show, and they were joking that um, when uh, the Nazi uh, Hun Hunka Yaroslav Hunka was like going like that, he was uh, pointing down at. He was like, "God, I thought we got rid of you Jews." About Zelensky, mm. <laughs> put him in that. Yeah, mm. they're they're okay. Jewish, by the way, so they can make that joke. And I, as a Jew, can laugh at that. And and Aaron, as a Canadian, gives me you know Canadian cover. <laughs> okay, let's go to Shalonda Young. She is the director of the Office of uh, Management and Budget, OMB. I think that's what that stands for. Anyway, yeah, off, yeah. Regardless, and that is, by the way, what what uh, Biden wanted to appoint your attendant to be. Head oh, up. I'm sorry, she didn't get that job. Yeah. Well, regardless of all the shenanigans going on with Republicans. The OMB is very confident that the money for Ukraine will be passed. Has sixteen billion. This bill has sixteen billion dollars for emergency relief, but it doesn't have money, obviously, for Ukraine. How confident are you, is the president, that Ukraine funding will pass? I mean, we've seen a majority of House Republicans now on record opposing more funding for Ukraine. What you've also seen over the past week is a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who have voted in the House uh, to ensure that their most extreme cannot remove Ukraine funding uh, from the defense bill. So we've seen the coalition. We've seen that the majority of Congress still supports Ukraine. We've seen that the majority of Congress understands what's at stake in Ukraine. Who are you for? Western democratic values? or dictators like Vladimir Putin. So I'm confident because I've seen the proof in votes. I love how she says the most extreme are opposed to funding the proxy war. So basically, and it's true, I mean, they, they are on the fringe, but it's like in this current political climate, you're extreme if you oppose a proxy war against a nuclear armed power that right. is sacrificing tens of thousands of lives. That's now the extreme position inside the Beltway. Okay, well, uh, let's go to that bipartisan coalition that she's talking about because there's something called I, I hadn't heard of this or I forgot about it. It's called it's called the House Problem Solver Caucus. Oh yeah, they're great. Yeah, they solve problems together on a bipartisan yeah. basis. And two of their members spoke about this Rem funding. Remember program. the mod sent. Remember when we talked about um, uh, Joe Manchin uh, mm -hmm. identifying as a moderate centrist. Mm -hmm. These guys do too. All right, let's see who we're, who we're going to hear from. Out though was not just funding for Ukraine. It was, I mean, right, let's rewind. What Graham laid out though was not just funding for Ukraine. It was, I mean, almost a year's worth of funding for Ukraine. Can you get that done in forty-five days? Well, I think we can't. We know that we can get through the next forty-five days, but it's a matter of days and weeks, and uh, not months and years in terms of what we have available to make sure that we Ukraine has what they need to stand up to Putin in his dictatorial march. So I think we have to make sure that we get some legislation to the floor quickly. I know the the speaker is open to that. He signaled that he's open to that. I think that's key. And uh, but we also we have other challenges, and we can do more than one thing at once. And I 
do think the Ukraine funding should be for a longer period of time. It should be for a year. It sends the right message to Ukraine, sends the right message to Russia. Um, and it's, it's perhaps, I think, the best uh, solution inside our chamber to get that done. Um, and the border security language, just you know, in our framework was mm -hmm. a bipartisan bill. Uh, it was Kirsten Sinema and Tom Tillis's bill in the Senate. Myself, Jared Golden in the House is a two-party solution of the border. Uh, basically, okay, so Kirsten Sinema, you basically have two Republicans there because she's basically a Republican. And Gottheimer is basically Republican, too. He's with he's a Trump, a Trumpian Democrat who was always with Trump on uh, the border and and uh, almost always with financial stuff. Uh, it's it represents the intersection of where the two parties agree. And you think you can get the speaker on board to consider I'm going to work hard. Yep. I love he's that. In, the he's into the intersectionality. Yeah, he's in he's in intersectionality. Exactly. Intersectionality means proxy wars and border militarization. Right. And that's problem solving. That's intersectionality and that's problem solving. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like the way we got uh, Kevin McCarthy embracing pan-Americanism, uh, becoming a speaker <laughs> of La Raza and the Chicano Studies <laughs> professor. And then we got these guys embracing uh, intersectionality. It's the woke agenda is working. <laughs> but luckily we got more from the pro Oh, Were you going to say something? No. We got more from the problem solving caucus. Let's hear what they have to say next. And this guy is take notes. Get ready to take notes. We're going to be able to govern. The extremists are the problem in this country. It's the bipartisan moderates that are the solution. That's what we believe in. And you have a proposal to get all. You know, you've heard of BIPOC, right? Well, they're talking about BIPOM, bipartisan mm -hmm. moderate. Mm -hmm. by, by, wait, bipartisan moderate. Moderate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BIPOM, exactly, yeah. All right. All of 100%. We've we introduced. Days. We introduced our bill last Friday. Yeah, it's a it's the only bipartisan bill. It's equal uh, co-sponsors, Democrat and Republican represents where the intersection of the United States of America is. And that's what our country wants. They want us to approach government the same way we approach our personal relationships. But, th but then you approach government the way we approach our personal relationships. Well, yeah. I got bad yeah. news for everyone. 40, 50 percent of uh, marriages end in divorce. And it's even higher when you talk about second marriages ending in divorce. And meanwhile, he makes a reference to the majority of the country and what they want. Well, exactly. what do they want when it comes to Ukraine? Well, this is the most recent poll from CNN. CNN poll. Majority of Americans oppose more U.S. aid for Ukraine in war with Russia. That's not a majority of Republicans. That's a majority of Americans, according to CNN. And everybody from President Biden all down has seemingly forgotten this poll. Because that's what it showed. And they don't talk about that. But luckily, though, they're here not to listen to the American public. They're here to solve problems. And that means yeah. intersecting on a neocon agenda. Right. It's neocon intersectionality. <laughs> okay. Well, that was some great stuff from the problem solvers. Um, let's move on to Mark Esper. He is a former Trump defense secretary. And one of many neocons in Trump, Trump's cabinet who have kind of thrown him under the bus since leaving office because they fear he's not neocon enough. So right. here he is talking about Trump and Ukraine. Extensively about your frustration with uh, getting then President Trump to support aid to Ukraine. And that was before the full scale invasion. That was when Russian troops were just in the east of that country. Um, he still to this day is not coming out in support of aid to Ukraine. And as we just talked about, Vladimir Putin has said some of the comments he's made make him happy. Happy. Uh, 
what does that mean in terms of what we should expect in, if there is a second Trump presidency? Well, I suspect that he will do what he says, and that is he will come to office. He will somehow attempt to negotiate a deal between Russia and Ukraine, and, and that won't fly. There's only one person that can get uh, end this conflict in Ukraine, and that's Vladimir Putin, and he's not about to do that anytime soon. So I suspect... Yeah, that, so he just declares that trying to negotiate a deal between Russia and Ukraine, that won't fly. Like, nope, not even no. an option. Not even an right. option. Because we've tried so hard, and we know that already, right? Because we've really exhausted all options, which is what you wanted, what you always do when you're yeah. trying to save lives. I mean, again, according to the participants, it did fly back in Turkey in April 2022 when right. Russia and Ukraine agreed on a deal, but then the West blocked it. Right. But uh, so it was the U.S. that decided, and along with the U.K., that that wouldn't fly. And again, right. he says that he pronounces that on 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 TV. And so one option for Margaret Brennan would be would be like, why wouldn't that fly? Like, right. Why couldn't we try to have a deal between Russia and Ukraine? But again, and why would she ever say that? Why would she ever say that? Because that's just one of these uh, just like absolute truths that you cannot question right. if you want to be allowed on the airwaves. It's a true. It's called a, a true and talking point. <laughs> Okay, well, meanwhile... Uh... Oh, wait, let's... Can we play the rest of that clip? Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. I bet Trump will quickly move to end funding for Ukraine. And then, at some point, he's also going to move to... Um withdraw funding for NATO and maybe even pull out of NATO, which would be disastrous for United States national security. So for all those reasons, uh, that concerns me. And then, of course, we could talk about our allies and partners in Asia as well, who will equally be concerned yeah. about these type of events. So it's interesting that he's he's like fear mongering about Trump, saying that he's going to try to withdraw funding from NATO and maybe even pull out. But again, this kind of speaks to what we were talking about, like the blob runs everything. Trump already threatened to do that. And he did. Yeah, he didn't do anything. Uh, he caved on pretty much every yeah. single item they wanted, including sending weapons to Ukraine that Obama wouldn't even send. Right. So me thinks they protest too much. But hey, yeah. um, at least uh, at least I mean, it's really unfortunate that Trump, of all people, is the face <laughs> right now of, right. of like anti-proxy war sentiment in the American mainstream. It's right. I mean, it's. That's pretty sad. These okay. people are NATOists. They're patriots for NATO. Mm -hmm. NATO. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's go to Fareed Zakaria. He had on oh, yeah. Zanny Minton, who's with The Economist, and Richard Haas, who is the uh, president emeritus of the Council on Foreign Relations. Foreign Relations, yeah. Richard Haas, if you if you had like a if you just like had like a like a hat full of like US interventions and war proxy wars written on a right like on a piece of paper, you pull everyone out. Richard Haas would have been yeah. there to support it and cheerlead for it. Uh, and they're going to talk about the state of the proxy war in Ukraine. In Ukraine, I came away from a week there and I saw him, I saw his wife, I saw a bunch of people, most of the key players in the government. I think for me, the real realization was that this war is not going to be over anytime soon. This is a long haul. It is a war of attrition. The front has barely moved. And so the focus needs to shift to how to ensure that Ukraine can, as a country, as an economy, survive, indeed thrive, whilst it is still at war on its eastern front. And that means much more focus on air defense. It means much more focus on Ukrainian capability. So the fact that they're building up their drone capability, I think, is really important. And it means a different kind of approach to assistance to Ukraine. And that's the question for me, whether the West can do that. So, Richard, you um, and Charlie Kupchin put out a very interesting essay in Foreign Affairs, basically 
trying to begin the process of thinking about a negotiation. And I talked to people when I was in Ukraine about this and what their response. I love that line, trying to begin the process of thinking about right. negotiation. Maybe so they not- should negotiate <laughs> thinking about negotiating first. Let's yeah, drag exactly. it out more. Exactly. So not negotiating or even thinking about negotiating, but beginning the process of thinking about negotiating. Right. Yeah. Yeah was and particularly this was private publicly it's all we're fighting to get everything back uh, a couple of people said to me look the problem is uh richard haas's proposal is premature because we cannot to zani's point we cannot function as a nation right now as an independent uh, economy without being able to uh, have odessa without being able to export our grain out of odessa and right now because of the way you know the Russians control the Sea of Azov, they control the Black Sea. So we we at least have to get back enough space in the South that we can control that. But that strikes me as that's that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, and and the Ukrainians have made life more difficult for themselves by all the hyping about the counteroffensive. I was kind of shocked to hear that. Well, he, it's totally disingenuous because he's saying Ukrainians made it hard with oh, all the right. hype about the counteroffensive. It wasn't Ukrainians yeah, it was, who had the counteroffensive. Right, it was the West. It was neocons like him right. who were saying that if we just like, you know, we don't need peace talks. They're a distraction. We need to give Ukraine new capabilities for a counteroffensive and then they're going to retake territory and then we'll have peace talks. It was the U.S. that was hyping the counteroffensive. Right. It, it, was, it was Ukrainians like, like – um, the head of the military said that, like, unless we have the proper equipment and training, these plans are not feasible. Uh, yes. That, that was openly said. They were complaining. But the West was like, no, just go ahead and do it. Right. And then after Ukraine went and did, and did it, then then uh, that's when we started getting those stories about the, uh, the U.S. fearing that Ukrainians were casualty averse. Right, exactly. A few, a few but I guess I was surprised to hear anyone saying anything remotely critical of Ukraine. Oh, absolutely. But again, note that he does it in a disingenuous way to blame Ukraine, to throw Ukraine to the bus, but not his own uh, proxy war class, which had been promoting this counteroffensive even more than Ukraine was. Right. That's all we need to hear from from, from Richard Haas. Uh, But thank you, sir. But he's basically Ukraine is asking for too much, which, again, you never hear. Yes. I mean, he's admitting now, I mean, which is like now that like. Ukraine was pushing this counteroffensive and it was it's been a disaster. The New York Times just reported last week that throughout this whole year, just 500 square miles has changed hands inside Ukraine in nine months of fighting. And actually, Russia netted more territory than Ukraine did. So that's been the result of this much hyped counteroffensive. So, right. yeah, in the face of that, he now has to admit that it's not going very yeah. well. Which but no again, one admits. So I was like, well, I was I was shocked that they didn't cut his mic. <laughs> I was. All right. Well, meanwhile, as both parties agree to spend tens of billions of dollars oh, more yeah, yeah. on Ukraine proxy war, the uh, U.S. government just cut off a freeze on student loan payments. So now people who under the pandemic had a relief from paying their student loans now have to pay them again. And ABC News, you know, uh, to their credit, actually didn't ignore that and did a little story on it. So here it is. And save. It's a harsh reality for 28 million borrowers like Wood. The government's years-long pandemic freeze on student loan payments ends today. The average federal student loan borrower owes more than $37,000 in debt. And for borrowers with a master's degree, it's nearly $92,000. Well, it's, it's not great. Economists. 
Yeah, it's not great. So not that's great. just a you know a little reminder of what of other things that are happening. Other things that are happening and other things that all this taxpayer money could be paying for rather right. than a hopeless proxy war. And credit to ABC News for acknowledging it. That's, yeah, they're probably like, we have to everybody. pretend that we care about what happens to ordinary people. So let's do one segment on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it wouldn't yeah. be a media Sunday without talking to the media's favorite, Joe Manchin. So let's hear what he has to say on Fox News. And of course, he's a mod centrist. Mod cent. And this is clip number nine, Wilson. So let's skip to that. Oh, we. you want to go to the other one? I forgot. Yeah, I didn't fine. mean to. It's okay. Who have called for him about Senator Menendez? You're not among those who have called for him to resign. Um, can he serve effectively? I mean, is this the the great group that have stepped forward? The Senate Democrats who have stepped forward. Is this more about they're worried about what happens to his seat next year, or are they outraged by what they well, believe about all, these allegations? You know, Bob, we all know Bob. I've served with Bob for quite some time, and he's very and they're effective. Talking about he's very he's, he's very strong person, and he spoke to the. They're talking about Bob Menendez, the New Jersey senator, who uh, some Democrats are saying should resign because he's being indicted for uh, bribery and hid basically bars of gold in his underwear. Uh, but not this guy. Caucus the other day. And I was just unbelievable the strength it took to go up there in front of your colleagues and say, let me tell you something. I've seen every one of you, every one of you speak eloquently about the rule of law mm -hmm. and how we're so different than any other place in the world. All I'm asking for is to be treated the same. Nothing more, nothing less. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Let me defend myself. And that's all he asked for. And I can't disagree with that. So you're going to let the legal process play it out? It should play out. Okay. Does so that take I a lot of strength to say, I'm not going to resign? Yeah. I mean, if it's true, as alleged, that Menendez is flagrantly corrupt, then it doesn't take very much strength to do everything he can to stay in that corrupt position yeah. so he can keep profiting from it and and uh, get out of trouble. I mean... Uh, it goes with the territory. That's like yeah. his shtick. But Manchin sees strength, and Manchin has... I've never heard him speak so passionately about the right to due process and fairness exactly. in the justice system. You know, I, I wonder how many crime bills he's voted for yeah. that gave people harsh sentences and uh, denied people due process. I, I would suspect... This is probably his first time speaking out. Yeah, I don't think he's very into uh, uh, criminal reform. Yeah. Well, speaking of due process, someone who has been declared guilty of an egregious crime already is Jamal Bowman, who <laughs> pulled a fire alarm amidst the hoopla this weekend over yeah. the vote. And, uh, you know, he's been accused of doing it deliberately. He says it was a mistake because he was just trying to exit a door. Yeah. And AOC was there to defend him moment uh, over the weekend when your New York colleague, Congressman Jamal Bowman, and he's under investigation for this now after Capitol Police say he pulled a fire alarm mm -hmm. in one of the House office buildings. Democrats were trying to delay a vote, a final vote on the bill. Uh, there he is uh, pulling the fire alarm. He says it was an accident. He thought pulling the alarm would open a door uh, based on the fact that the doors to his right there were locked. And there was a sign that he said he was, con I think someone said it was confusing I'll be honest, it doesn't really make sense to me, his explanation. Have you talked to him? What's going on? I mean, listen, I think if you actually do see some of the photos of the signs, I How many times does Jake Tapper say, I'll be honest, your explanation doesn't make sense to me? It's Audie's reserving it for this fire alarm incident. 
Yeah, it's true. Probably... This is the most. Ad- well, he was adversarial with Jamie Raskin when he really wanted him to defend either or shit or get off the pot with Kamala Harris. Okay, right. But, just, but this is the other time he's really grilling. Like odd moments to to say you don't believe a politician. Like right. You could maybe use that for when they're say, justifying wars yeah. or justifying cuts to social spending. Um, that might be in a more like another t- occasion to doubt someone's sincerity. But anyway, he 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 feels strongly here about Jamal Bowman's fire alarm. Yeah, gate. I think there's there's something to be said about the government's about to shut down. There's a vote clock that's going down. The exits that are normally open in that building were suddenly closed. He so you pulled the fire alarm. So I'm I'm what I am here to say is that. House administration and U.S. Capitol Police and Jamal Bowman are inactive and he's fully participating in saying there was a misunderstanding. But what I do think is important to raise is the fact that Republicans, representatives like Nicole Maliotakis and others, immediately moved to file motions to censure, motions to expel before there, before there has even been conversations that are that are finished to even see if there was a misunderstanding here. But what they did do while they did that, what they did not do was to commit to the same when George Santos was actually found guilty after a thorough investigation of 13 federal charges. He's indicted on everything from wire fraud to actual. If the Republicans don't commit, you must acquit. Mm. What do you think of that? So, so you're saying if they don't commit to going after George Santos, Santos they must I acquit. Like I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's also notable, noteworthy that, and George Santos, by the way, is very mad at Jamal Bowman. He made a video about this. Hmm, he tweeted really? about it. Yeah. But it's also oh. noteworthy that Republicans, why aren't they outraged about Bob Menendez? Great question. Great it's question. The fire, it's fire alarm gate. It's alarm yeah. gate. Yeah. Yeah. But not uh, not stashing gold bars in your closet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's go to my our, my ma- our mayor. Our governor. Our governor. Our, sorry. Our governor. Yeah. yeah. Kathy Hochul. Hochul? Is that her name? Hochul. Kathy Hochul? Hochul yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. This clip shows that remember when Democrats ran on being humane and, uh, you know, defenders of migrants? Well, that's all kind of been cast aside with Biden in office. And here's Governor Hochul saying now that we need to crack down on migrants and that they're not welcome anymore in New York. This can it can be done. This can be done in a bipartisan way, comprehensive immigration reform. Where what specifically quotas, do you want? Numbers people can come in. Well, we want them to have a limit on who can come across the border. It is too open right now. Uh, people coming from all over the world are finding their way through, simply saying they need asylum. And the majority of them seem to be ending up in the streets of New York. And that is a real problem for New York City. 125,000 newly arrived individuals and we are being taxed now we are always so proud of the fact that new york has the statue of liberty in our harbor harbor we we are mm-hmm. one of the most diverse places on earth because of our welcoming nature and our it's in our dna to welcome immigrants but there has to be some limits in place and congress has to put more controls at the border and not in so there we go that's I'm a not shift sure how proud order. she is actually of that of the Statue of Liberty. Statue yeah. Of Liberty. yeah. <laughs> She's like, we're so open, but this is too open. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's well, she, hear the rest of what she has to say. Just what she actually wants budget. to do. Sorry. What she actually wants to do is hire 
domestic work is hire migrant workers to put a big sheet over the Statue of Liberty. For That's that would be really good. Yeah. And then yeah. send them back after they do that. Yeah. The threat shutdown right. threat. Talk about eliminating positions for Border Patrol when we actually need to double or quadruple those numbers. So get back to work and do your jobs. All right. You know, so what is it? There's no difference between what she's saying, basically, and what Republicans are saying. They sound the same. And a yep. serious person would talk about things like uh, funding for staff and judges and facilities to handle the flow of people. But no one's doing that because it's just e easier to play these racist games. Yes. And also stop imposing sanctions that destroy course, right. the country that people are fleeing from. Yeah. Which you're not uh, allowed to discuss. You're just not allowed to discuss it. No, no, that um, that would be offensive. That, AOC that, to no. her credit, AOC to her credit did last week, and that was a rare uh, voice of sanity on that. But aside right. from that, can't do it. By okay. the way, someone in the comments asked where, when, and where my documentary is going to be screening in New York City. At the very end of this stream, I will be showing a trailer for that. But can I just tell people that it will be? I think I put the link in, but it's at um, Wednesday at. Um, the 6.30 screening is sold out, so get your tickets ASAP. We added a 9 p.m. screening, and you can go to uh, this link that I'm putting in the chat right there. Uh, yeah, but make sure you go because it's going to be sold out. And we'll get to that trailer in a second, but before that, oh, we have some Dianne Feinstein, yeah. Dianne Feinstein, longtime Democratic senator, passed away this week. And Wait, so, we needed a trigger warning and we need to tell people, ask them if they're sitting down. Okay. Guys, trigger warning and please sit down for the following. Okay. Proceed. Okay, so uh, CBS News paid a little tribute to her. and So let's play a clip of that. And at times challenged her own party. This is not what Americans do. As the first woman to head the powerful intelligence committee, she sparred with the CIA director and accused the agency of trying to cover up its past abuse of terror suspects. We're supposed to be better than that, that we don't have to torture people. America, she argued, is big enough to admit when it is wrong and should be confident enough to learn from its mistakes. Being a pioneer wasn't easy, as she told Bob Schieffer in 2009. We women have had to fight for everything we've gotten in the public arena. We weren't given the right to vote. We had to fight for it. Today, women make up a quarter of the Senate, following a path she helped to forge. Okay, so, I mean, first of all, she talks there about learning from her, for learning from America's mistakes. I mean, she voted for the Iraq War. And didn't learn anything from that as she voted for right. subsequent U.S. interventions and proxy wars. And as Scott but, Ritter recalls, did you see this tweet from him? He recalls that he spoke to her and asked if she had any intelligence showing that there were WMDs. And she said she hadn't seen any. And then she voted for the war. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But, you know, that mention there in that clip of her um, standing up to the CIA over torture, because she did lead a Senate investigation into the torture program. And the way Margaret Brennan frames that is really deceptive. She says that she says that Feinstein sparred with the CIA and accused it of covering up his torture program. Yes, that's part of it. But what she also did, and this is what CBS left out, is she accused accurately the CIA of spying on her investigation. We're under John Brennan, the CIA literally, and we can show a headline from The Guardian of this if we have it. The CIA hacked into the Senate's computers and spied on the Senate staffers who were investigating CIA torture. That's like the basic 
element of the story. Yeah, there's the headline there if you scroll up. I wonder why they left that out. CIA admits to spying on Senate staffers. And I just thought that was interesting that in her recounting how she, you know, finds Senate accused the CIA of covering up their torture program. Uh, CBS didn't mention that she also accused accurately the CIA of spying on her investigation. And that's just, you know, one more episode that gets swept under the rug because now on, on networks like CNN, people like John Brennan, former intelligence officials all work for them as their, as their colleagues. Right. Right. Maybe they, they thought that viewers would get more upset about that than they did about lying about uh, the Iraq war. Yeah. Which they didn't even mention. Um, They didn't even mention. So that uh, is the tribute to Diane Feinstein. Well, we have an uh, update, though, because, Aaron, you and I covered the fact that Gavin Newsom would not commit to uh, naming Barbara Lee. Right. mm -hmm. Uh, Because she's much more. I mean, it's it's damning her with faint praise, but she's a relatively progressive. She was she used to be a lot braver and more progressive. She was the only one to vote against the Afghanistan war. Um, But she's certainly more progressive than others. And uh, Gavin Newsom did not name her to replace Dianne Feinstein. Feinstein. Let's see who he named to replace her. Okay. So Nathan Tankus tweets, Lowell Newsom appoints the head of Emily's List, who is also an advisor and representative of Uber in its fight against the California bill seeking employee status for drivers. The story, of course, does not mention that, only saying former labor leader. Former labor leader, okay? Someone who worked for Uber. And uh, she's not even a Californian. She she barely is Californian. She's not from California. Um, and Emily's List is like a total DNC shill group that funds women with shitty politics so that they can be Democrats. But if you're like actually pro-choice uh, and progressive, they're not as excited about you. They like pro-choice uh, corporate candidates. And all this was done to protect a white man, Adam Schiff, because... Democrats didn't want Newsom to appoint Barbara Lee, the Congress member, who was obviously the most qualified person for this job, because uh, they didn't want to help her in her upcoming Senate primary against Adam Schiff, uh, because they're all running to replace Feinstein. And so to help the white man, uh, Newsom had to find somebody else to appoint from Barbara Lee, because he had promised to appoint a black woman. And uh, okay. that's who we have. So we have this replacement choice now. And it's such a insult to Barbara Lee. And uh, I'm praying for Adam Schiff's defeat because uh, there's few people that I think have been as damaging in U.S. politics in the last few years. But um, hey, that's how it goes. So, Katie, you have a documentary in New York City coming up. Tell people about how they can see it. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to... um, It's it's a very long link. So let me try to... uh, The link that you can go to is... Ready? Okay. I'll put it in the chat. This is an easier one to do. Um, here it is. It's DCTV slash, oh, we'll go back, DCTV.org slash S slash Firehouse Cinema. I had a 630 screening of Commie Camp, my documentary. We're about to see a trailer, and that's sold out. So you guys are going to really want to make sure you buy tickets to the 9 p.m. because that will sell out too. And let's take a look at this movie, if we do say so myself. That's a weird way to say it. This is Camp Kinderland. I went to Camp Kinderland, and so did my mom and my grandmother. I love Camp Kinderland. But not everyone does. 
For some people, it's a politically left-wing Jewish summer camp with communist roots. They walk in there as young skulls full of mush, and the liberal establishments at these places bend and shape their mind. One of the very, very special things that camp is known for is for its progressive propaganda agenda. This is the sun. Um, which, is, as you can see, is a peace sign. Stop indoctrinating my children. You think as kids you can make a difference? If you just stop littering. Going to anti-war demonstrations with your parents. In my school, we saved an orangutan. Get your kids out of this indoctrination. We love camp. Our republic will be lost. If we wouldn't go there, we would be lost. In order to save the children and the republic, there's only one thing for me to do. I'm going back to camp. I know um, the word for cream cheese. Schmear. This girl wrote a letter under my bed. That said somebody has a crush on you. No! And by the way, uh, I just got to say that in case you want some recommendations for this movie, uh, Gerald Horn, the wonderful historian, calls this a wonderful and inspiring documentary about a unique summer camp. What makes it particularly notable is the ample inclusion of the voices of kids, making it utterly accessible to the younger generation. Thus, this is a film that will resonate throughout the ages. I was so excited that he said that. Wow. Gerald Susan, Horn. Gerald How Horn. How does he find the time? He he's written like I don't know dozens of books. He's read everything, and now he's even watched your your movie. Yeah, so, yeah. Wow. And he also Susan Sarandon calls it so much fun. Uh, Josh Olson, who is nominated for an Oscar for his screenplay for The History of Violence, calls it uh, delightful. Uh, uh, Medea Benjamin also calls it so much fun. Spencer Ackerman, the you know anti-war. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist calls it a heartwarming, heartwarming documentary. And someone says, who is Gerald Horn? He's like one of the best historians. And we have interviewed him on this very show, actually. Extremely and so smart. The, screening, the screening is at DCTV in Manhattan yeah. on October 4th. And you'll yeah. put a link to that in the yeah. show notes. For this. Yeah, we'll put that's a good idea. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And really, please do, do buy your tickets because the 630 uh, sold out. Uh, but we add in a 9 p.m. screening and it's only an hour long, so you won't be out that late. So if you're if you're in New York, uh, come come on down. Also, people like Paul Robeson used to visit the camp, the great Paul Robeson. Uh, it was almost shut down during the McCarthy era. Uh, some really interesting people went there. Uh, and I am serious, Jabril. He writes. who? Oh, oh, sorry. I thought he was saying Gerald Horn. Are you serious? Like I got a blurb from him. Yeah, I did get a blurb from him. Um and then it will be on sale eventually, but uh, you'll definitely want to see it in person because it's it's great if you're in the area. Uh, 
and it's at 87 Lafayette in Brooklyn. I mean, no, no, 87 Lafayette in Manhattan, in Manhattan, not in Brooklyn. So 87 Lafayette, which is downtown Manhattan. And it's in a really cool building, the Firehouse, which Very Aaron cool knows too, uh, all too well. A historic building. I spent many, many days there, many mornings there. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Usefulidiots.podcast.com for bonus content and to support the show. Remember also to like this stream to help us beat algorithmic suppression. And yeah. we'll see you at Katie's screening. And if not, next time. And one thing, uh, why was a ger- such a German name chosen for the camp? It was, uh, it's Yiddish. Because the founders of the camp spoke Yiddish. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.